0: So uh, our psalm, Psalm 16, uh, maybe this, uh, just the, the title or the number Psalm 16 should kind of trigger something in your mind that this is a special psalm. This is a psalm quoted again in the New Testament. Uh, just off the top of anybody's head, does it ring why, why Psalm 16 is special? It's a messianic psalm. Blaine, you look like you got it on the tip of your tongue. What about the Messiah? Anything you remember? Yeah. Yeah. Exciting psalm um, that, that Peter used in that sermon that we preached, Easter message here, um, regarding Jesus's prophetic resurrection and it coming true in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. So, uh, So kind of our title for this psalm is the hope of the faithful and the Messiah's victory. Uh, It's called A Michtum of David, or A Poem of David. And the beginning with this title is very similar to the 56th Psalm, all the way through the 60th Psalm. Um, And so it's believed these were written in times of peril for David, maybe the times that he's um, running from Saul, King Saul. Um, And Michtum has this idea of covering the lips in the poem, um, like it's secret, like what he's writing, writing is kind of secrecy. Um, like you're that in danger that you're writing, um, like, like you're hiding from the enemy. Uh, it's a wonderful Psalm relating to how David found secret contentment and great gladness, even in peril. Um, and then we have this messianic Psalm here as well. That's awesome. So Uh, Our first section of this 11 verses, we have David's confidence in God. Uh, Here's what David said to the Lord, verses 1 through 3. Well, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I will put my trust. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Um, Preserve means uh, watch out for me, guard me, protect me. Um, because I take refuge in you. That's what that putting my trust in. Very interesting how trusting in the Lord is synonymous with being protected and guarded by the Lord. Uh, as David's in a time of trouble, he's asking for preservation. Um, and yet there's a tone, not so much of despair or complaint. There's like a joy in this Psalm as we'll keep reading. Very interesting. Um, but let's just, I want to read that first verse again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. And just um, burdened today as I was studying that someone here tonight uh, was, was needing preservation. Um, and so there's only like five of us, so <laughs> I don't estimate well. But um, is there anyone here just tonight you would say like, I like need the Lord to protect me right now. Um, I need the Lord to guard me and I need to run into a place of refuge. I did a Google image search just of refuges, just to kind of let it sink into my heart. And you, you, know, you can only imagine what was, th- what was there, you know, um, fortresses and brick castles and moats, you know, with drawbridges and those types of things. And in Ruth, um, Boaz is speaking to Ruth and it says, the Lord repay Your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to refuge. And so, a lot of times we sing, and there's those those pictures of like almost like a mother hen, you know, having her chicks come on. And you probably have heard the story of you know that barn fire where the farmer went out after his barn fire and he found a mother hen, and she was crispy fried, you know, McChicken or whatever, but underneath her were living chicks like her body protected the chicks and that's always been a great picture of Christ isn't it you know he took the burn he took the the hurt uh, so that we could be preserved um, and so you know in Ruth there's that under the wings of the Lord we've come for refuge and then Jeremiah sixteen nineteen, O oh Lord my strength and my fortress my refuge in the day of affliction putting our trust in him Verse 2, why don't we go around, and if you are not a reader, then just say, pass. It's totally cool. But um, I want to have you guys read even the psalm that we're studying tonight. And um, we don't have a ton of scripture tonight, but uh, can you read this uh, verse 2, Josh? So I like this, how you have um, Lord and Lord. You have Lord, capital L's, which is Yahweh. Uh, It's just who, it's the name for God. Uh, and then we have a title of Lord, Adonai, which is master. God, my master, David says. But but he's talking to his own soul. He knew that it was good to speak to his own soul and encourage uh, his own soul. And as he did, he said, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Um, you know, we were in Psalm 14, 2 and 3. And I don't mean to beat a dead dog or a dead horse or anything like that. But just how we've been in this scripture um, Blaine, why don't you read two and three here of Psalm 14? So there's just no goodness in us um, apart from the Lord. You know, we are fallen, you know, and I I don't get into the like total depravity thing of Calvinism where it's like, oh, you are like so far gone, you can't even, God has to save you, like born you again before, like, I just don't go there. You know, there's mysteries that are just too big for me. Um, but, you know, as far as total depravity, you could say total depravity, but that can be a controversial i've been calling this radical depravity just you know like we don't save ourselves or you can't save ourselves we are in desperate need of a savior and we've got nothing good in us and so the lord is the one that is beckoning us that uh that brings us to salvation that works goodness in us and if there is anything good in us it's because we've been created in god's good image you know and um and so there's no one that just has this inherent righteousness, inherent innocence, just inherent in, inside of me. I'm just a good person, always looking to you know, know God better. And it's like, no, that's grace. That's the grace of God uh, that does that. But David knew, like, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Like, on my best day, I got nothing. And that's King David. That's this prophet. That's the man who was after God's own heart. Um, but But he knew that he was... Um, corrupt uh, on his best day, like Isaiah sixty four six and seven says. Casey, if you want to read this, so our iniquities have taken us away. There's no one who calls on your name. Just stirring ourselves up to take hold. Like I'm such a good person. Yeah, I was in sin, but I just, uh, I just pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and went and found God. You know, like that is not biblical. <laughs> you know, it's the Lord that draws. It's the Lord that initiates. We are saved because of His pursuit of us his goodness coming to us um and uh Philippians 3 9 just along these same veins of my goodness is nothing apart from you Mark you want to get that Philippians 3 9 so I can't do it on by keeping the law my own righteousness I kept those commandments because you know we've all broken the commandments and as James said chapter 2 if you break one of them you're guilty of breaking all of them completely worthy of the judgment of God. Um, But as Romans will tell us that by the words of the law and by the deeds of the flesh, no one will be justified. But then chapter three goes on to say, but we found our justification in Christ Jesus and in his righteousness. Um, That faith in Christ that Mark just read, righteousness, which is from God. So, that's why David says, "My goodness or my righteousness, without you, without it coming from God by faith, it's nothing." Um, Matthew five three and four DJ. So um, it's summer in the park last year when we were doing our outdoor services, we did the Beatitudes, and I think this is called like the Golden Staircase, um, and it starts out with us: "Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, that realize spiritually they're they're in poverty, they're." bankrupt spiritually there's like i got nothing to bring to the table that you would accept me god i'm bankrupt my pockets are out there's nothing but lint in them you know in fact i'm i'm the off scouring of all things and, and here i am lord and i need you to bring your righteousness to the table and clothe me in your white garments of righteousness because i'm i'm poor but then it says and blessed are those who mourn over that mourning over Spiritual poverty, uh, grieving over our sin and what it's done to God and what it's done to uh, just humanity, the Lord will comfort us in that. Um, Charles Spurgeon quoted a man named Greenham, and he quoted him by saying, I receive all good from thee, but no good can I return to thee. Wherefore, I acknowledge thee to be most rich and myself to be most beggarly." You are most rich, Lord, and I am most beggarly. Our next psalm verse 3 of Psalm 16, Brenda. Oh, such a good verse. Uh the uh the saints who are on the earth. Who's who's that? Pope John Paul or I guess he's dead. I don't even know who the next one is now. I don't know. I don't keep up on it. I saw the white puff of smoke come out of the Vatican, but other than that, you know, I forgot to follow up on the <laughs> But uh You know, who are the saints? St. Joseph, St. Catherine, St. Mary, you know. We're the saints. We are the saints set apart. It it speaks of anyone who's been made holy in Christ. Um, But I think it was John Corson who said, uh, either you're a saint or you're an ain't. Okay? Like, you've either been born again and been made a saint, or you're not a saint. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. You've been made holy by the blood of Jesus, or you're still dead in your sins. Uh, and we have just that this incredible perspective from God that He has toward the saints. They are excellent ones. It's almost like, like a surfer, you know, you're an excellent one, you know, <laughs> excellent. All my delight is in you. This is the perspective of the Lord. You're excellent, which means, it actually means you're mighty. You are magnificent. You are beautiful. So I'm saying this to you, saints, here tonight. You're mighty. The Lord sees you as magnificent, and he sees you as majestic and beautiful. He delights in you. But David also, just writing this perspective of the Lord, he also had this love for the saints, and hopefully you guys are growing in that. You know, um, you know, the church is made up of imperfect people universally, and it can be so, we can just get bickering about the Pentecostals, and bickering against the Calvinists, and bickering against the Arminianists, and bickering against the... You're either a saint or you're an ain't, you know? And, and the Lord delights in the saints. He delights in the excellent ones. And they're not perfect. We're not perfect. We can find things to bicker about them. They can find a lot of things to bicker about us and me. And But man, just that we would have a delight when we, you know, even Paul, when he said, like, man, whether they're preaching in, in you know, maybe there's some way that it's just just frustrating. The way they're preaching, he says, I think it's in Philippians, you know, Praise God, he's, Christ is being preached right now, and I will rejoice. Um, but uh, he, del- he delights in um, the saints. Um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, Boyce that says, This is a practical matter, for it is a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will love the company of those who also love him. Uh, Last Thursday, um, a man took me out to lunch. Doesn't go to our church. Goes to a different church in town. Has been so excited about what God's doing here. Uh, Said that he follows us on Facebook. He fasted with us. Even though he doesn't go to this church, he fasted for a week with us. He just wanted to hear all that God was doing. And, you know, he's... From more of a Pentecostal bent than I am, you know, and, you know, talks about guys getting knocked down in the spirit, you know, and I'm not there, you know, I'm not, not that the Lord couldn't, but I don't, you know, I'm not there, and just that's the evidence of the spirit coming, um, but, you know, just mention that small, but the whole time, it just doesn't, we're just talking about Jesus, we're talking about his kingdom, we're talking about his glory going to the nations, and we just loved on each other over a masa-long nacho plate, you know, and. It was awesome. It was so cool. Um, you know, I know we've been accused lately of just only liking the local church and actually forbidding people to be a part of the universal church. It's like, go back and listen to the sermons. That was never, ever said. And, and that, you know, we encouraged the universal church. We're a part of Mountain Child, and there's, like, all sorts of – got Pentecostals and Reformed guys involved in Mountain Child. You know, that's obviously not our heart, you know. Um, but to, to be able to spend that time with a guy, it's like my Pentecostal brother, you know, let's, let's get Pentecostal together, you know, let's, <laughs> woo, you know, let's get excited about Jesus, you know, um, man, loving those who love him, right? Well, there are all those that are really annoying though. So we got to stay away from that. No, I'm kidding. I'm the annoying one. <laughs> if I don't think I'm the annoying one, right. Um, Then we have, um, so whenever you're looking in a text, you want to be looking for the fallen condition focus, and that's the bad news. But then you want to be looking for the good news. So start looking for that. Whenever you're reading in your quiet time, okay, here's the fall, results of the fall. It could be sin, it could be cancer, disease, blindness, leprosy, uh, sexual immorality, sin, paganism, blah, it goes on and on. It could be earthquakes and fire and, you know, burning up people, whatever, you know, just be that's the result of sin, but then be looking in the text because he's always going to show his good news in that. He doesn't just leave us hanging like that was a total bummer. No, he's always got uh, the good news. And so we've got that. There's, for some reason, there's a reason to run into uh, a refuge place. You know, there's something going on, a tempest in the heart or in the life. Uh, That's bad. But then there's find refuge in the Lord here we have, um, verses four through six, we see darkness, folly of idolatry here. Um, and so verse four, um, you want to read that? So we've got a group of people who go off and and quickly go after other gods. They, but those that do that, they are going to have sorrows multiplying. They're going to be suffering and being wounded. They're going to be finding just life is not going to be good in areas of their life. Uh, and to hasten after other gods, means to acquire that other God as one's wife. And if you know the Old Testament, kind of that picture of spiritual adultery, you know, uh, always the Lord likens our idolatry as adultery, like harlotry spiritually and having an affair against the Lord. Uh, So anyone that would go and have an affair uh, with another God, um, you know, that's a problem with the Lord. Uh, He says, "...their drink offerings of blood I will not offer." and um this speaks of um well psalm the psalm one o six thirty six and thirty nine paul through thirty nine paul if you read this it really explains this drink offering of blood here psalm one o six thirty six through thirty nine so you know israel took up these gods of the pagans and of the Canaanites and they, offered, they began worshiping Chamash and Ashtoreth and these disgustingly sexual immoral gods as well as these um, gods that um, would require um, child sacrifice and human sacrifice. That, the people of the Lord were doing that. Even kings of Judah and kings of Israel offered up their sons to the fire. Um, brutal, disgusting, painful, wicked just abominations to the Lord. And David says, man, are you hasten after those gods? I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm not going to take their names on my lips, which means speaking of their renown and how great these gods are. David's like, no way. And then he gets his eyes back on the Lord in verse 5. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm cheating here. You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Uh, so turning away from the idols and coming to the Lord, Uh, essentially saying you are my inheritance and you keep my inheritance for me. You keep that allotment of my inheritance. You know, David at the time was the youngest son in the family, though he was anointed the king, you know, um, perhaps this hadn't happened yet where he had received the kingdom. And, uh, and here he's writing, I'm the youngest. What am I going to get? Probably nothing. You know, I'm the little kid. Um, but Lord, you are, uh, my inheritance, um, just as in numbers 1820, the Lord said to the priests, "You don't get land, I am your inheritance." That was good enough for the priests, you know that the Lord would be uh, our inheritance. Uh, Alexander McLaren says, "Every godly man has the same possession and the same prohibitions as the priests. Like them, he is landless, and instead of estates, he had Jehovah. So this inheritance that we have in having the Lord, if we had nothing else. Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. You are, and, and you keep that inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Jake, would you read that? So Peter just speaks of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus and how that life um, won for us an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And it's reserved. It's like vaulted up for us in heaven for us um, waiting for us who are being kept by the Lord. Like, it's just this picture of this inheritance that's like so big. It's like, we're Bill Gates kids, you know, or better than that though, you know, just vaulted up inheritance waiting for us. And this is so encouraging to the people of this world, you know? Um, you know, my dad died when I was 19 and, uh, at the time he had, right when he passed away um the government was coming after our ranch and coming after um our family and the banks were coming after our family and rightly so (laughs) Uh, we weren't like innocent or anything like that um but a big family ranch that we had and uh clear back in the early 90s when my dad had cancer he signed over his power of attorney to my grandparents and my grandparents were really in this like anti-government phase and stage and they just began to do all these things in my dad's name that stuck with my dad while he was like dying and stuff and then when he was better it came back on us as well and so he had a stroke and we were going through all these attorneys things and all of this and then he ended up dying and basically like my inheritance was taken and all social security was taken my mom didn't have anything, and I shouldn't say nothing. We did have a, an inheritance that was great for a 19 year old, um, and even that was gone, like lickety split, you know. And we, I was providing for my new family at the time, you know. And uh, but it's just always stuck with me that, you know, it doesn't matter if we don't get the inheritance from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, you know, like the Lord provides. You know, and even when we get that, we don't want to just use that for ourselves anyways. We would be giving that away for his kingdom and he would be bringing more so we could give more. And uh, so, you know, when, when David speaks of these, he's speaking from a the youngest child position. And when Peter speaks, you know, he's given away everything um, for this purpose. You know, he even tells Jesus, you know, we've left all to follow you. What do we get? Remember when Peter said that to Jesus? Uh, and And Jesus is like, man you know, don't worry, you're going to get that inheritance um, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Um, Verse six, Heidi. So this speaks of kind of like in the inheritance times, or if you were to be given land, you know, it speaks of a boundary or like the rope that goes around a property. um, and And the Lord has just dropped our inheritance in beautiful, places. It's a good inheritance that we have in the Lord. Uh, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who's given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. There's worship and praising God for determining the plots of our life. And um, even our the Lord works in our inner man uh, correcting us. That word instructs, actually speaks of disciplines us in the night and in the dark seasons where we're corrected by the Lord in our heart. Um, Verse 8, Josh, you want to read verse 8? So this verse was just on my heart as we were worshiping tonight. You might have sensed that. Just be near, Lord, you're near to us. Um, David's saying, I have this intense desire that the Lord would be in front of me and nearby me. Uh, And because of this, David would never be moved when we've just always got that eyes fixed on him. We're sure and secure. Verses nine and 10, Blaine. So verse eight said that he had this heart to always have the Lord before him and near him at his right hand. The Lord, you're always there. Because of that, he had a glad heart. His flesh was hopeful, even in his death. He's speaking about his death here. Like the Lord is near me. he he had this hope of the resurrection that you're just not even going to let my body perish. And maybe unknowingly, you know, he's, he doesn't even know that he's writing about his 14 times later, great grandson, Jesus. Um, but he had the hope of the resurrection and he's writing of the prophecy of the resurrection resurrected one, uh, whose flesh literally would never see corruption. Um, so, uh, this verse here um, and actually let 's go ahead and read verse eleven because Peter quotes this as well so um Casey, do you want to take verse eleven so this psalm is quoted by Peter in the New Testament in acts two twenty two through thirty nine uh and he you know Peter preaches Jesus and let me read this to us uh, this is the day of pentecost everyone 's hearing Tongues spoken. What is this? You know, Galileans speak in 19 different foreign languages. How do they know it? We hear them, each one of us in our own language, declaring the mighty works of God. Surely they're drunk. You know, what's up? And Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. This is what you've heard of from the prophet Joel. um, The outpouring of the spirit in the end days. Uh, And then he seizes this opportunity to preach. In Acts 2.22, men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so we have this, the resurrection being preached. And you guys remember that when we read the book of Acts this year, You might have marked in your Bible with me, just all of the resurrections preached. It just, preach the resurrection when you're out there witnessing to your friends. Don't forget that. Um, When I was on Lake Shasta, I got to preach the resurrection to a guy we gave fuel to. Awesome. You know, it was just astounding to him, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, But it was not possible that he would be held by death, verse 24 says. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, Is this sounding familiar? He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He's quoting that Psalm 16. And then he says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb. His tomb is with us to this day. Um, Verse 30, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus... Uh, excuse me. Um, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So, uh, exciting to see a sermon preached by Peter there on the very text that we're on tonight. He said, David wasn't talking about himself. His tomb's right there. His flesh, his bones, his flesh has been corrupted and decayed. His bones are right there, brittle and underneath the dust of his corruption. Um, but he's speaking of Jesus who you guys know what happened in Jerusalem and you guys know the words that he's been risen from the dead. And that was an amazing message preached here as they were cut to the heart and, uh, and sorrowful over that they'd killed the Christ. Um, but notice, even Peter, he didn't just quote the passage about the resurrection. Peter included verse 11 of this psalm. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. So even Jesus, you know, Uh, He took on the sins of the world, but he never became sinful. He was allowed into the presence of the Lord where there's fullness of joy. He sat down at the right hand of the Father where there are pleasures uh, forevermore. And uh, as Guzik says, when we go back to the first verse, we remember that this life of gladness and rejoicing and fullness of joy is not a problem-free life. It is a life that may be challenged and face attack on many levels. Yet in that, a life committed to God has been made and is enjoyed. It is a secure, happy, blessed life. So really cool. In a lot of these Psalms, you see David start out like in a low place. Uh, and then you'll he'll, he'll just watch the spirit like take his eyes and fix them on the Lord. And and they'll oftentimes end in joy, you know. Um, a lot of people call David like bipolar, you know, because he would just be at the depths of despair and at the heights of joy, you know. I'm running into you for my refuge. In your presence is, you know, has, what's it say? Uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And which one of us isn't bipolar? You know, you know I'm just totally like that. You know, every day, oh, God, eating anxious bread, you know, just so worried about every little, and then, oh, you know, and uh, probably 10 times in a day I go back and forth uh, like that, you know. And usually it's when the days start out. Ah, the the crash hits so the hardest, you know, uh throughout the day. So